My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Friday the 20th of October. I'm Zara. I'm Sam. Sam, welcome back to the pod. It's but nice it's to be here. Here for a short time, not a good time, because you're off to the US. Yeah, I'm headed off to Washington, D.C. over the weekend. Anthony Albanese is landing in Washington early next week for the state visit with President Joe Biden, and I'm going to go and see what's going on. But for today's podcast, we are casting your minds back a year ago this week to the moment that a little-known Sparky finished a race that gripped Australia. An electrician who had a big light bulb moment. The idea of running from Perth to Bondi seems insurmountable. thousand kilometre journey across Australia. Please welcome Ned Brockman. We wanted to sit down with Ned Brockman to understand what happens to people who are in the news a year later when the dust settles and the headlines slow down, how they feel about their time in the sun. Before we get to our editor Billy's chat with Ned Brockman, Sam, what's making headlines? The government has requested Australia's consumer watchdog to monitor domestic airlines in an attempt to improve competition in the sector, currently dominated, of course, by Qantas. Over the next three years, the ACCC will investigate the cost of airfares, passenger demand, the frequency of cancellations and delays, and profits reported by carriers. Findings will be included in reports to be released every three months. Unemployment fell slightly from 37 to 3.6% in September. That's according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. The youth unemployment rate remained at 8.1%. The rate of underemployment, which is those who worked for less hours than they wanted to, also fell last month. AFL player Joel Smith has been suspended after failing a doping test. Smith, who plays for the Melbourne Demons, tested positive for cocaine after the Demons played Hawthorne in August. Sports Integrity Australia is now investigating the matter. And the good news. Scotland's largest offshore wind farm is now operating at full capacity. The project could generate enough electricity for two-thirds of all Scottish homes and make a significant contribution to the country's net zero goal by 2045. The milestone has been hailed as an important achievement for clean energy in the UK. Let's get started. Let's do it. Ned Brockman, thank you so much for joining The Daily Oz. Billy, thank you for having me. I don't know how else to start this interview other than to ask, how the hell did you do that? Yeah, I. it took me... Uh, a lot of training in the lead up and a lot of mindset and a lot of, uh, yeah, sacrificing. Um, I think, you know, the price I had to pay, I was completely willing to pay that, uh, whether that be in a physical, mental, whatever sense. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was willing to put it all on the line to get it done and, and that's why I'm probably here talking to you today. I want to understand what it's like to be at the centre of a massive media storm. For weeks you were all anyone could talk about. Mm-hmm. You were on the front page of every newspaper what is that like? Yeah, it's weird. I think while I was in it, while I was in the run, I, I didn't really take much notice of it. I, I saw like social media starting to kick off and things were starting to blow up a bit. But to what I was doing, like, you know, I was doing it the run because I wanted to do the run. And I was doing it because I wanted to inspire, I wanted to motivate, also wanted to raise money um, and all the other stuff 
comes from that. And so for me, it was all about just getting the run done. And so whatever was happening outside, it, it, it kind of, I didn't really grasp how large it was until I got to Bondi and and fully uh, realised what actually went down. And then when you're at Bondi and in the days after, there must have been a moment where you realised how big it had gotten. What was it like to like to be that person at the centre when everyone's talking about you? Yeah, it's, it's weird. And like you have this... I would call it like imposter syndrome, like a why me? And I think I'm just an average dude going out doing something extraordinary. Um, but yeah, when I when I was running down Bondi Road, probably like as I come down and I saw the saw the beach, that's when I realised like the enormity of it all. Um, like up until that point, you know, there was helicopters above me and like everyone honking on the street, but I didn't really grasp like the size and the sheer scale of it. And then I saw the beach and I was just like, oh my God, like this isn't fucking real, is it? This is not real. And then, yeah, ran down and was just like, yeah, if you can bottle that up and everyone could take a sip of that, it would be the most rewarding thing for people because that, like, moment is what I think living's all about. After the media storm ends, the media cycle inevitably moves on. What happened next for you? I think a lot of the Olympic Olympic people have this, like, you have the competition you finish it you're running off the high of you know whether you get the gold medal or whatever it is and then you have the post-olympic blues i feel like i had my post-event blues pretty well about two weeks after i was still you know caught up in it i was getting going to events that all the people go to and it's like oh my god this is so cool uh and then it all you know the clock clock ran out and i i crashed pretty hard um but i can say that like i was i was low and i think we all need to be able to acknowledge that I've done something pretty epic, like run across the country, but I can also go, you know, I'm not feeling great right now. I'm quite depressed. I damaged my body big time on the run. So I had to spend time sitting out and someone like me, Billy, doesn't like sitting down a lot. So I had to find peace in that as well, uh, which taught me a lot too, just sitting out and being okay with it. And I had to put 12 kilos back on. So I ate my body weight and probably a bit extra, uh, but I've dialed that back in now. So we're all good. What did that low look like? It got a bit better this time around because in 2020, I did the 50 marathons where I kind of had this rush and I felt invincible and then I got injured and I kind of had this crash and I was a proper crash. Like I was not well and I'd, I'd been through it all. So when I got to the run and I knew this would happen, so I was kind of like waiting for it to happen and happened at two weeks. But when I was in it, it was just like acknowledging it, journaling, writing down the, all the thoughts and feelings I'm, you know, I'm feeling and just accepting it and doing things you could do. So I started doing things that got me out, but not physically out, you know, not punishing my body every day. And yeah, like there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You always find something to do. You've said a lot already that you're just this average person, but you simply can't be to achieve what you've achieved. And I'm really interested in this idea of mental resilience and whether you're born with it or whether you can develop it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that anyone could just get up tomorrow and train to run across the country or is your brain wired differently to ours? You can absolutely train mental resilience, mental toughness, you know, getting up and getting up. That is that is something you teach yourself. That is something we can be taught. However, I don't think everyone can go wake up and go, righto, today I'm going to start training for my run across the country because I just don't think, like, you know, uh, physically, uh, genetic makeup, I probably can, can run a bit better than a lot of people. Um, but in saying that, like, if that was your goal, I think anyone can, you know, every day for my last three years, I've chosen the more uncomfortable option of everything I do. So whether it be, like, I'm standing in the shower this morning and I'm looking at the hot water tap and the cold water tap and I go... The easy option here is to turn the hot water on and have a shower. That would be comfortable. Yeah. That is the nice thing to do. And then I look at the cold water tap and go, that will be uncomfortable. 
and this will make my day better because I've won this shower. And that's what I do. We're so inclined to pick the easy option these days. And if it doesn't come to us quickly, we'll go for the, easy, the other easy option, the next easy option. If, it, if it's too hard to, to uh, you know, um, get, we'll just go for something else. If you can intentionally put yourself in uncomfortable scenarios daily, it puts things in perspective. So things aren't that bad and that hard. And then you also start to go, oh, what else can I do? What else can I do? You talk a lot about wanting to be uncomfortable or choosing the uncomfortable option. Yeah. Do you like pain? I like what it gives me. I don't I don't love being in it, but I love knowing that when I'm in it, I'm going to get so much out of it. I think we all need to evolve as people. I think we really, if you're not evolving, you're just wasting your time. We're here for a very short period of time. Growth comes from uncomfortable scenarios, not necessarily physical, like it can be in anything uncomfortable. But if you're not learning from that, then you're wasting your time. We've talked a lot about your mental journey, but what did running across the country do to your physical body? Pretty well from about day three, I was starting to show signs of uh, wear and tear. Basically, when I got back, I had I had pretty pretty bad glute med tendons. Um, and when I got back to Bondi, we kind of, you know, I took the two weeks off and then I went, right, now I've got to start looking at this. I had 10 MRIs from the belly button down on different uh, parts of my body. Basically, bursitis in every joint. What does that mean? My bursas, which are like the sack around the the joints and the tendons, were just so inflamed from repetitive overuse. But I'm but I'm not a runner. Like I'm not. I You're started not a this, runner. No, I'm not. I started three years ago. Like this is people. A lot of people do, you know, think this is like a big dream. And this is this is one. This is how I start all my conversations. Is like I'm not a runner. I'm just a guy who started running to lose weight three years ago. Who's gone? How do I make the most of my every day. This is where it ended. You just said that you started running to lose weight and I've heard you talk before about having body image issues. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think it's a funny thing that that only that comes from when I'm not doing the things I go and talk about. So probably in the times where I'm injured and I'm, you know, struggling to get out motivation wise because I can't because of an injury usually. It's only rare occasions that I go, oh, you know, I'm not happy with this or I'm not happy with that. But I, I'm pretty good at it now. What what my body has done for me, um, it's allowed me to get up and go again and go again. It's like it can it can do it at once. It's 12 months on since you're finished. Yeah. Has your body recovered? I don't think my body will ever recover fully. Like I think if I, I think if you speak to a lot of athletes, they're always borderline injury performance, um, and it's just a, a balance dealing with those niggles. But I was probably like 70% going into the run. So when I got the end, I was probably about, wow. sitting about 20. Um, but in saying that, if I had to run another 1,000K after, I would have been, I would have absolutely done that, no worries. You've basically put your body through a form of torture. Mm-hmm. What are you scared of? Like, do you have any fears? Yeah, just not reaching my potential. Wasting opportunities, that's my only fear. I don't, I don't fear like injuring myself. I don't fear, you know, what people think of me. I don't fear much on like that side of things, but I fear not ever reaching what I was probably put here to do. I've heard you say that you don't think that you've reached your limit yet. Are you going to keep going until you reach that limit? I don't think you ever do. I don't think as humans we ever do. I think, again, I'm touching on the evolving thing, but like what my limit was four years ago, I've surpassed that 10 times already. So now it's like, well, where does this, where is the limit? Um, I think the limit is death. I don't think you actually get to, you'll, there'll always be something else you can give. There'll always be another price you can pay. And I think, yeah, I don't think I'll, I'll ever reach it. Lastly, in your book, you do say that you have a new challenge coming up that you're mm-hmm. planning. 
that you say will be even tougher than running across Australia. Yep. What can you tell us about that? I can say for me, if I every year, every second year for five more years can live that moment I felt in Bondi, then I've ticked off what I need to do in my life because that moment and that that feeling I got was just like, I can't even explain it to people because unless you've been there, you can't, you will never understand. And so for me, even in the book, I tried to explain, but it's it's nearly impossible because I can only associate with people who've done things like it and it's very few. Do you think now that you've experienced that extreme high, mm-hmm. you're going to be constantly trying to get to that high again? I want to say this very carefully what it's like with like going to war and you go, you come back into society, you try and assimilate, but nothing's the same. So for so long, I was out there just like grinding away at this thing, grinding away. And, and there's no normality to what we're doing. It's all just freaking psychotic out there. Like every day was just a struggle. Um, and then you get there and then you try and associate back and you're in this whole new world of, in your life. Like I've ran from being relatively unknown to being, you know, one of the most prominent mullets in Australia. And then you're like, now this whole life's completely different. It's like, you just want to be back in there. When you're in it, you just want to be out of it. But when you're out of it, all you want to be is back in it. You want to be back in that because that is the most alive and most um, joyous things you'll ever feel. So do you think you'll feel that extreme, extreme high again? Absolutely. The high wasn't getting to Bondi. The high was achieving what we had to to get there. Like that whole journey of across Australia, knowing what we went through, that's what made Bondi so special. You know, whether there was two people in Bondi or the however many were there, it was the same. It was the exact same special moment. But so there is something that you're planning that will be even tougher than running across Australia that will be in the next few years? Yeah, it'll be it'll be next year, September. Yeah. Ned Brockman, thank you so much for Thanks, joining The Daily Oz. It's been good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Daily Oz. I've always thought it was interesting to think about what happens after you are at the centre of a news cycle and I guess... Now I know. And there's other stories like that out there. Let us know who you want us to chat to about this. But until then, have a great weekend and we'll be back on Monday. Hold up. 